Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host. As we begin or have actually just barely begun the new liturgical year in the Byzantine liturgical calendar. And this calendar was based upon, really was the one of the original civil calendar of the Byzantine Empire. But it has since become the calendar of the Byzantine Church. And the first major feast day, as we're just a few days into that new calendar year, is the Nativity of the Mother of God, a very, very obviously monumental event. Before getting further, I just want to mention something, and it's relative to our topic of the Mother of God today. As you know, Eastern Christians, Eastern Catholic Christians in particular, not just them, there are people of different religions, including Muslims and Jews and so on, in the countries of the Middle East, particularly Iraq and Syria, who are suffering terribly. We have covered this topic a number of times in our program. We'll continue to monitor it because we are light of the East. Our focus, of course, is the Eastern churches, and especially even in their countries of origin. So recently, the bishop of Iraq, his name is Nona, his last name is Nona, bishop of Mosul, wrote a letter to the world. There he was. It was interesting, the picture of him standing alone. It was so providential, so appropriate, because his letter was telling the world that he is a bishop, basically, of almost no one. His diocese of Mosul, which has great ancient biblical roots, is empty. Those who remain or those who are in a diaspora still have a strong faith, but basically the Christians of his diocese have been run out or killed by Islamic terrorists that we've been, of course, hearing about in the news. And he sends a message to the Western world, to you and me, to be vigilant, to pray, to be aware because this type of thing is coming our way as well. And he should know he's at the epicenter of it. I know that sounds maybe frightening and maybe not even realistic for us, but in the Byzantine liturgy, one of the things we do pray for is vigilance. Vigilance, yes, meaning being on our toes, being spiritually awake. And so this bishop from Mosul pleads with us to be vigilant and to pray. And so we're going to talk about praying to the mother of God, especially in light of world events, because she is our spiritual mother. She has been someone that the church has turned to historically, especially in times of crisis. You know, we sort of run to mommy. Yes, we cry out to God, of course, but we amplify that cry by going to the intercessor, the one that can take our prayer, our plea, in a very special and amplified way to our Lord and Savior, to our Father in heaven. So it's rather providential that we focus 
on this feast of the Nativity of the Mother of God. And once again, let's turn to a great source that I think should be in every household, especially with this idea of the domestic church that the Eastern churches preach about so much, meaning will you extend what happens in church, our experience of church, into our homes? So there is not this disconnect, this dichotomy, this compartmentalization. Well, we go to church, we did our obligation, and then we go home, and that has really no real bearing or connection in a, in a substantial way with church. The domestic church means there is a connection, there is an integration. Our homes are like little churches. So this is a book that should be in our homes. It should be read, I believe, every day, at least once a day. Gather that household around at least one meal a day. I understand that, unfortunately, that is difficult today. It used to be we could gather at three meals a day as a family, a household. Now it just seems to be barely one, but there should be at least one. And at that gathering, there should be some silence, some spiritual reading, and some very good, high-level Christian fraternal conversation. One of the things that could be read is the verses and passages, the information from this resource called the Synaxari, and also called the Prologue from Okrid. Every day it gives insights and historical background into the saint of the day or the feast of the day and also some great meditation. So today, as we look towards the nativity of the Mother of God, today is the prefestive. September 7th is the prefestive of the nativity. Nativity is tomorrow. Nonetheless, this is what the great source, the Synaxarian, tells us about this feast. It says the Holy Virgin Mary was born of her aged parents, Joachim and Anna. Her father was of the tribe of David, her mother of the tribe of Aaron. She was from royal blood from her father and priestly blood from her mother. And by the way, in the iconography, that's one of the reasons she wears a very deep red color. By this she foreshadowed him who would be born of her as king and high priest. Her parents were already old and had no children, and because of this were ashamed before men and humble before God. In their humility, they prayed with tears that God would bring joy to their old age with a gift of a child, as he had once given joy to the aged Abraham and Sarah, giving them their son Isaac. God, almighty and all-seeing, gave them a joy far exceeding all their expectations and their wildest dreams. For he gave them not just a daughter, but the mother of God. He illumined them not only with temporal joy, but with eternal. God gave them just one daughter who later gave them just one grandson. But what a daughter and what a grandson. Mary, full of grace, blessed among women, the temple of the Holy Spirit, altar of the living God, table of the living bread, ark of God's holy things, tree of the most delicious fruits, glory of the human race, praise of womanhood, font of virginity and purity. This was the daughter given by God to Joachim and Anna. Born in Nazareth, she was, after three years, taken to the temple in Jerusalem, where she returned again to Nazareth and shortly afterwards heard the tidings of the holy archangel Gabriel concerning the birth of the Son of God, the Savior of the world, from her most pure and virginal body. I've often wondered, this is just a little bit of a personal note, what it would have been like to have known the Virgin Mary on earth personally. We do know her, of course, in a very intimate way through the church, through the liturgy of the church, her icons, and, our, of course, our personal prayer. But I often wonder what it would have been like to have been in the presence of her. Because Jesus Christ was, of course, fully human, but he was also God. Whereas the Virgin Mary was just only one of us. <laughs> just human, but gloriously and perfectly human. So what 
would it have been to have been in her presence? Well, in the Synaxarian, the source we're referring to today, there's just a little story by St. Dionysius the Areopagite. Now, he was a saint very early on, just after the time of the apostles. And he writes of the immeasurable joy, the outer and inner radiance, and the indescribable fragrance that he sensed in the presence of the Holy Mother of God when he visited her in Jerusalem. In his enthusiasm, he says that if he did not acknowledge the only true God, he would acknowledge her, the Holy Virgin Mary, as God. The Holy Virgin made such a strong and deep impression even during her earthly life and she received an incomparably greater power after her physical death when, by God's will, she was exalted above the host of angels. Her power comes from her ceaseless prayer to God for the faithful, for all who turn to her for help. So, St. Dionysius the Areopagite. Now, this source, of course, there's always a question with some of it, what is fable or tradition or what is solid tradition? There are different kinds of tradition. There's small t and big t. Big T usually refers to that which seems to be, we can assume, is pretty credible because it's been passed down intact for a long, long time. Then there's the small T, which has its place too, but it's not as credible, at least not in the scientific approach we would take to scholarship when it comes to the church and the Bible. But I would say this is probably a very credible story from St. Dionysius the Areopagite. It comes down to us through the Synaxarian. At least it gives a little hint at what it would have been like to have known the Virgin Mary. As he said, she was so incredible that had he not believed in God himself, the true God, he would have seen her as a God. Now, we do not worship the Virgin Mary as a God. In fact, we don't worship her at all. A lot of our non-Catholic friends often accuse us of that and don't quite understand that they're using the wrong word. We do not worship the Mother of God. We do give her appropriate honor, calling her, and once again, we always We always find out the way we're supposed to think and pray and believe from our liturgy. In the liturgy, we say to the Mother of God that she is more honorable than cherubim, incomparably more glorious than the seraphim. So, she is more precious than the angels themselves, but she is not God. She is a human She is the new Eve, but the human and the Eve that was supposed to be from the beginning, and even then some, but the original Eve sinned. So God refashioned, he literally refashioned, but in a mystical way, the human race. He himself would become the new Adam, and the mother of God, he would choose one human being from among us to become the new Eve, and together he would create a mystical spousal union between him once again in the human race and reconceive us, but mystically. I have to think mystically and be very Eastern now, very Byzantine, mystically. That's why in the cross, he turns to her and says, not mother, but woman, behold your son. Woman, behold your son. The only other time he called her woman was, you guessed it, at the wedding of Cana in Galilee. Again, another nuptial spousal moment. So she is our spiritual mother, but yet she is one of us, preserved from sin. She was the human person that we all were intended to be. Yet she goes even further by God's ordination, by God's grace. When we come back, we're going to talk more about this beginning of the liturgical year with, very appropriately, the nativity, the birth of the mother of God. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. 
Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. It's no secret that Father Loya and other speakers from the Tabor Life Institute are available to speak at your parish or group on marriage and family topics seen through the lens of St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body. Other topics include Eastern Christian spirituality and the significance of art in the church. The Tabor Life Institute can arrange for marriage encounters, parish missions, and can help your parish facilitate teen faith formation in either English or Spanish. For Father Loya and other speakers, contact the Tabor Life Institute by writing to taborlife at earthlink.net. That's Tabor spelled T-A-B-O-R life at earthlink.net. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. You are listening to the Choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the sacred liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling, to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. 60491 and may God grant you Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Lawyer, your host. All excited about the new liturgical year. That's right. Yeah, it does excite me because the liturgical year immerses us, enters us into the great drama, the great journey of the Christ event, the incarnation. And it has to begin by setting the stage. Christ's incarnation was through his birth, of course. And so he needs someone to be born through. And so, of course, it's his Blessed Mother. So we put her on the stage first in the liturgical calendar. And it's always fun for me to, to watch this calendar unfold. So I'm really excited we have the new year here. But we start that feast day is due for all of them, especially with major ones, with what we call a pre-festive. In other words, we start to warm up to it already. Today, for instance, is September 7th, which is the pre-festive. In other words, it's warming up to the actual feast, which is tomorrow. Then after that, there's a post-festive. And in the pre-festives, we get hints of what we're going to be celebrating or praying about. And here is one of the prayers that we say. This is from the Vesper service from September 7th. In your nativity, O most pure one, you have shown forth universal joy to the world. You proclaim Christ our God, the Son of glory, to all the world. 
You have shown yourself to be a mediatrix of true happiness and grace. And then we also say this. On this day a great joy has shone upon us from the two just ones, Joachim and Anne, and this joy is the most honorable virgin. Because of her purity, she will become a living temple of God. She alone will be recognized as the mother of God. Through her intercessions, O Christ our God, send down peace upon the world and your great mercy upon our souls. Now, notice the reference, and it does make reference throughout the liturgical text for this week, of Joachim and Anna being spared from childlessness. That, of course, was a great shame, but also it's reminiscent of other moments like that that were foreshadowings in the Old Testament, such as Abraham and Sarah, and also the mother of Samson, and also the mother of the prophet Samuel. It seems that in times of a very providential birth, the parents were beyond, for the most part, beyond what would normally be the age of conceiving and birth giving. And so these individuals who were very pivotal in salvation history come into being, they're conceived and born, in a way that shares in nature yet transcends it. And that's a very important observation, and one that is very often referred to in the Byzantine prayer. We love to talk about God complying with the laws of nature that he himself set up, yet at the same time transcending them, even in his own birth, his own incarnation. He was born of a woman, but yet he transcends the normal way of conception and birth because he is not conceived by a human father, and his birth keeps his mother a virgin before, during, and after birth. Yet at the same time, he's still born through a woman. He still takes on human flesh. So oftentimes you'll see in these pivotal moments, God will observe or comply with his own laws, yet transcend them. So he doesn't ignore them. He observes them, he follows them, yet transcends them. Once again, it's a Another both-and situation. Very, very significant, especially in understanding some of the emphasis in Byzantine liturgical spirituality. Also, once again, Joachim and Anna, they're giving birth and being able to conceive, though they were past the age and they were barren, is also a sign of God's providence, of his mercy, and how we can intervene into history at will. And also at the cry, the plea of us sinners. Joachim and Anna prayed that they would have a child. And God answered them in his own time, but in a very, very special way. Another one of the prayers, and this is the one that's taken from the Matin service of the feast day itself, a prayer to the Mother of God. In fact, it's part of the ninth ode. See, in the Matin service, in the Byzantine prayer, the Matins, of course, is morning prayer, and part of the bulk of it is a system of odes, and there's nine of them. And the ninth one is always reserved and dedicated to the Mother of God. So for her feast day, this ninth ode, says this, O my soul, extol the Virgin Mary, born of a barren womb. And that verse is repeated after these other verses which convey some of the theology. For instance, it says this, Mothers cannot be virgins, nor virgins be mothers. But in you, O Mother of God, both virginity and motherhood were present. Therefore, all the people of the earth unceasingly extol you. Now, I want you to keep that in mind. I'm going to refer to then a verse, once again, from the ninth ode of Matins, which dedicates itself to the Mother of God. And this is the ninth ode of the feast day we just recently came through, and that was the death of the Mother of God. In other words, her assumption or her dormition, body and soul into heaven. 
Once again, seeing the Dormesha, the most pure one, the angels were filled with awe at how the virgin went from earth to heaven. Okay, there's the verse repeated, very similar to the first one for her nativity. And then we say this, In you, O pure virgin, the laws of nature were overcome. In giving birth, you remained a virgin, and in your death, herald a life. You remained a virgin after giving birth, and remained alive after death, always saving your descendants, O mother of God. See the similarity there? They bounce back and forth in a very poetic, complementary nature. And it's almost like a paradox that in birth, you remained a virgin, which how can that be? But it is. In death, you heralded life. Now, how can that be? Well, it is. So these great mysteries, these both and situations, these mysteries are embodied in the very body of the Virgin Mary. And once again, it shows how God will follow or comply with his own laws of nature, at the same time transcend them. So it's interesting how in the Byzantine liturgical life, we make that connection, a similarity between similar phraseology in the prayers from her birth to also her assumption, her passing on to eternal life. Because she is, from her birth to the way she passed on to eternal life, she is that archetype, as St. John Paul II said, the archetype of the human race. She represents, to put it in his language from his theology of the body, she represents what he would call original man, in other words, how we were originally intended to be, the original Eve, and eschatological man. In other words, how we will then be in heaven, our ultimate destiny, which is to be, and he uses the term, virginal. Now, that's hard to comprehend for us. What heaven will be virginal? Yes, meaning intact, one, together, integrated, body and soul together, not separated, one passing on into eternal life before the other, you know, the soul going into eternal life and the body rotting away in the ground, waiting to be resurrected again. No, no, no. In heaven, body and soul are integrated, united. We are virginal, gloriously transfigured forever. That is our ultimate destiny, and that happened to the mother of God. So, we see in her how we were first made without sin, how we were intended to remain without sin, and we see how we will end up. If you are without sin, your body, your whole person, body, soul, and spirit remain virginal, meaning intact. doesn't mean not married. It means being intact, integrated, oneness. Oneness within ourselves, oneness with each other, Oneness with Almighty God is the bridegroom, the one bride of the bridegroom Christ. So this is why it's interesting that in our liturgy for the different feast days, her birth and her assumption, in other words, her passing on into eternal life, we have very complementary and similar language in the liturgical text. As I mentioned before, after the feast day itself, and maybe you can think of it in terms of an image, a bell curve. Like a like a roller coaster, <laughs> you look at it sideways. You know, you have the rising action, then you have the top point, the climactic point, and then you have the falling action. And the liturgical life is very similar: pre-festive, the feast itself, the festive moment itself, and then the post-festive, the sort of coming out of it, and then recycling again with the next feast day. So it's really a beautiful rhythm. It's that fundamental S curve turned 
upside down or turned around to become a bell curve. The bell curve and the S-curve, they're images for a fundamental rhythm of life. It's used in art. It's used in design and music. The bell curve is used in basically the writing of stories. And notice how stories move that way. They build up. You have to kind of wait to see where is this going. And they introduce the characters as a character development. The story unfolds. And you've got the climactic moments, you know, our favorite parts of the movie or the story. Then you've got finally the ending, the resolution, and then the screen credits come up. (laughs) So again, you see that rhythm, that same rhythm, the bell curve or the S curve turn different ways. It's, uh, I would call it, it's almost to me, uh, the DNA of the created order of, of creation when it comes to creative things, especially in the arts or liturgy or beauty. Same thing with the liturgical life of the church. It, it follows this S-curve or this bell curve. Now, I finally want to point out that it is very providential that we're looking at the Mother of God at this time, especially this time in history, because I believe that she is key in her intercessory role with what is happening in the world today, especially with this struggle between Western civilization and Islam. This is history repeating itself, and as history tells us in the past, when Christians turned to the Mother of God, the Western civilization, Christian civilization was spared from the onslaughts of whatever enemy. Even at times, it was the aggression of Islam over the years. So once again, we see this happening again, and once again, we turn and should turn to the Mother of God, especially for her intercession. I want to thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the Light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh.